This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of EMS 2020. And uh, wow. today, I'm <laughs> just going to move the pause I, You around. know what? I mean, it's really what it is. You move pauses like my kids move decimal points when doing math. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I think it belongs here now. And I'm like, That's, this kid- is not how math works. <laughs> Are your kids just terrible at math or like... Uh, no, they're, I mean, for the most part, they're like, my son is surprisingly good at it. Uh, he hates yeah. doing it, but like he can, he, I mean, you know, like if you asked me up until, I don't know, about the time my guy had to start helping my kids do math, they're like, Hey, uh, yeah. what's eight plus five? Like I would have had to stop and go like, uh, okay, hold on. Eight, 12 plus two <laughs> gets to 10. And then you have to add how much is left. It's three. So, okay. So 13. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> my son just goes like, uh, 13. I'm like, what? So you're, how, you're how, like the how do you do that now? And I can't, I couldn't do that, you know, wow. as an adult, like years ago. He just comes in naturally. But I'm then, you know, like. Glad to have your brain power on this show, man. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, then I'm like, yeah, but like, what's five times eight? And he goes like, I don't know. And I'm like, yeah. That's right. You don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but soon he will. And he's just going to be the reluctant hero of long division. And you're just going to be left in his <laughs> dust. Uh, well, hey, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of EMS 2020. Uh, this is a show where we review pre-hospital calls uh, and uh, yeah, see if we can uh, see if we can learn something from it together with you. Uh, my name is Chris and that is Spencer. Uh, Spence, aside from sucking at math next to your, uh, was he first grade, second grade? Uh, he is now in second grade. Yeah, dude. next to your second grader. Aside from sucking at math next to your second grader. Uh, how you doing? Oh, you know, uh, I had Chipotle for dinner last night, so I woke up and I was like, hmm, boy, ooh, I have to use the bathroom urgently. And then uh, that's just sort of been my day every yeah. so often. Occasionally, I'm like, oh, no. Right. Well, you need to be careful with Chipotle. I mean, it's, I, uh, they've, yeah, they've been in the I newspaper was... a couple times for similar symptoms. So, yeah, yeah, I'll risk it. It's good. <laughs> but the, I like it. The food tastes and great. You know what? I mean, here's the problem. It's like it's either too much or I, you know, because I get it the spiciest. Um, oh, of course. And you so do. like it's, I'm either crushing like way too much food and my body's just like, I don't know. We just got to get all of this out of here. Or like it is maybe a little too spicy for <laughs> my lower section and it's also just like oh we got to get this shit out of here like nice. move it so yeah i thought it was going to be a trilogy today but uh <laughs> it's more like a more like a star wars just like every so often they're like you know what we're coming out with another one there here you it go. is <laughs> oh my goodness it's all a varying quality everyone's kind of expecting <laughs> it to be like the first one but it's not <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, moving on. So Spencer is going to be bringing the call today. It should be a fun one, and uh, I'm excited for it. Uh, But before we get there, we do have some listener feedback that we do love to do in the show because you guys give us so much feedback, uh, and it 
it, it's one of my favorite parts of actually doing the show is hearing from you guys. Uh, so today's listener feedback comes from Dave Reardon. And Dave Reardon writes, as a newer EMS provider, I have only been in the system where there have been four levels of providers as described by the NREMT. And that is EMR, EMT, AEMT, and paramedic. I know many of my co-providers still use the term EMT basic, but there is no such thing anymore. I recall getting a question on my NREMT cognitive exam regarding the levels of providers. As an instructor in one of our local EMT classes, don't you think it is a disservice to the EMT student to continue to perpetuate the term EMT basic? I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I am sure I am one of the thousands of emails you get, so I'm not holding out for a response. Just wanted to drop you guys in line to ask your opinion. And that right there, folks, is why you should email us, because we do. We we managed to get through almost every email that comes our way. I can't say every single one of them, uh, because especially lately, it's been a, it's been a lot, lot uh, which is which is great, though. But yeah, we do. We yeah. do honestly try. Uh, to get back to the listeners, because uh, it is why we do this. Uh, but anyway, yeah. uh, Dave Reardon finished off his email by saying, keep up the good work and know that you help out me and I am sure many others regards. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think Dave is right. I mean, we've been using outdated terminology to describe provider levels on the show. And, I, you know, I would sincerely hope, though, that no one has taken offense to our using the term EMT basic over EMT. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that really just wasn't our intent. You know, I, historically, we were all EMTs with varying levels. You know, like, I, for instance, in Oregon, long before Chris or I started, the levels used to be like numerical. Right. You were an EMT one through EMT four, with I think four being the paramedic and one being like the equivalent of like a first responder these days. Yeah. Um, you know, then it's changed as you know things tend to do in systems. Um, and so like the system that I entered into, we had your, you know, EMT first responder, your EMT basic, which, you know, again, the basic was really just meaning like the focus of your training was on mastery of like basic life support skills. Right. Then you had your EMT intermediate and your EMT paramedic. Yeah. And so the current levels of emergency medical providers uh, are, as Dave said, they're now it's emergency medical responder or EMR, emergency medical technician or EMT, advanced EMT and then paragod i mean paramedic and can we get like a can, can we insert like a little choir thing in yeah. there just like oh i mean it yeah, should happen naturally i shouldn't have to insert anything but yeah it's, it, it, uh, yeah we can do that Although really quick, if you are that kind of paramedic, shut the fuck up, sit down, just so you know, just so you know, the majority of the things paramedics do, uh, we think works with little data to support it, like actually get people out of the hospital, all the stuff that's important, defibrillation and CPR can be done by an EMT. So yeah, don't pat yourself too hard. I'm not saying there's nothing we do that works. That's not true. Obviously, there's things paramedics can do that do work and have good outcomes. Um, but yeah, the big things <laughs> with all the really good data behind it. Yeah, your your uh, your EMT has your back. So yep. sit down. All right. Anyway, <laughs> so those are the levels <laughs> EMR, EMT, advanced EMT and paramedic. And while most EMS programs seem to have adopted this new change and by EMS programs, we mean like states that have EMTs, which is all of them. Uh, 
which, and by the way, these changes started being rolled out around 2012, so we're really out of date. Uh, there are some states like Oregon, the one that we work in, that still honor different ranks like EMT Intermediate, even though that's not an, e an NREMT rank anymore, because they feel there's still value in having people fill those roles. Because uh, paramedics are expensive, by the way, uh, to train and employ, and in rural areas, it's far more cost-effective to have intermediates uh, who almost have uh, the same scope of practice. So. Here's kind of a quick clarification of why this might be confusing, uh, especially if you're not an EMT and listening to this. So you have kind of two levels here, right? So you have the NREMT, that's the National Registry of Emergency Medical uh, Technicians. Uh, that was created back in the 1970s, and the goal of it was uh, it came from a recommendation from uh, Lyndon Johnson was the president, but it was actually a recommendation from the president to create a national standard. And the NR, the National Registry stepped in to fill that role. And they are a private, not for profit organization that makes certifying standards. So most states, 46 of them actually out of 50, um, basically what you do is you get your certification from the National Registry. Um, of EMTs, whether you're EMT, EMT advanced, um, or, you know, the emergency medical responder or paramedic, whatever one you are, you go through testing that says you meet the standards of the NREMT. That doesn't give you the right to practice. What you then do is you then take that certification and you take that to your local state, like, for example, Oregon. Oregon accepts NREMT as the standard for their own licensure, and then they give you an Oregon EMT or paramedic license or whichever one you're going for. And that is what allows you to practice. So there's two levels. So what it is, is the NREMT has stopped recognizing certain titles like EMT intermediate. They no longer recognize that. That doesn't mean the state can't still have uh, EMT intermediate uh, requirements and certifications. They totally can't. It's just there's no NREMT standard for it anymore. And with the NREMT standard gone, you're probably going to see that level start to dissipate in states as, as states will then have to provide their own certifying standards. And they're generally not going to want to keep those updated for too long. Um, so that's just my yeah. experience. So anyway, uh, a good example of, I guess, one more illustrating point myself. So when I got my paramedic, I went and got my NREMT paramedic certification. I took that to my state. They said, hey, you passed. You are now a licensed Oregon paramedic. And then I let my NREMT certification lapse because there's no requirement to maintain it. Once you have your Oregon license, you have to maintain your Oregon license, which has its own continuing education requirements. Um, but you don't have to main maintain the NREMT because I didn't think I was going to be switching states. Recently, I had to go back and get my NREMT and I used uh, Guardian Test Prep to help me get that uh, certification back, uh, which worked out great. Uh, the formerly Sights and Sirens, now Guardian Test Prep. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, in short, our point is we will be updating our terminology to describe the levels. But, you know, just understand that occasionally there will be systems like in Oregon where they're going to have like holdovers to old, you know, the old terminology. And in those cases, we will just use those. But, you know, Dave, again, we really appreciate the email. This kind of feedback is really helpful to us, as Chris said, because uh, Chris and I both want to put out content that helps providers. And if the terminology we're using is distracting in some way from that goal, then, you know, it absolutely makes sense to change it. So thank you for sending us the letter. And uh, yeah. I don't get to say basic anymore. No, you don't. So if you, like Dave, want to connect with us, 
you can get a hold of us via EMS 2020 on Facebook, EMS 2020 show on Instagram, or you can send us an email at EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. Please do so. You almost got it. Perfect. You almost got it. Do you, do you know where your mistake was? We're mm. technically EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook, not EMS 2020. Ah, the slash. The slash. Yeah. Which now I kind of just wish that there are our name. If we could go back in time. <laughs> My, we came up with the name in 2019, like five months before our first episode ever aired. And then it aired in like what was one of the most famously fucked up years of all time. And it just happened to have the name of the year in the name. And it's been so hard. <laughs> But it really has. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so all right, let's let's get on with the call. Well, let's go. Yeah, let's do this call. So I'm going to start again with the perspective. Um, and this one's a little unique. Today's call is a first for us. Okay. This call was submitted to us by a flight paramedic working for their flight agency. Oh, sweet. Yeah, we're doing a flight call. Boom. Air horn sounds. Yeah, it's a lot of sound effects that I'm doing that I'm hoping <laughs> you're going to cut out and just throw in better sound effects. Uh, uh, but I'm, you probably won't. As I say that, I'm like, no, he won't. No, I'm definitely I, I may throw in better sound effects, but I'm not I'm not sparing you the embarrassment of that sound. So that will stay. <laughs> I, what you'll do is you'll actually can I make this like sound worse? Can I distort this even more? Like, <laughs> I don't think I need to. <laughs> All right. Well, that person has been a paramedic for over a decade and have been a flight paramedic for the last year. Their code name for this episode is keyboard missing a G key. <laughs> Perfect. They are working alongside mouse, a flight nurse of unknown duration. Uh, but what really helped me for this call is that we were also put in contact with Cheeky, a paramedic nice. on the fire service ambulance who is also involved for a portion of this call. They have six years. They are working with desktop, an EMT. All right. So two things. First of all, I wholeheartedly approve of your naming scheme. I feel like the smartest people I know just look around the desk and pick random names. So solid work. <laughs> I had to take keyboard missing a G key before you did. <laughs> the only thing that would make it weird is if the person who was making these names heavily criticized somebody else for using the exact same method in the last episode. Um, but, you know, if that happened, that'd be weird. Of course, it didn't happen. Um, but also, you were able to actually speak with multiple crews on on this call. Yeah, dude, it was awesome. That uh, is awesome. I, I got a very rounded uh story yeah and I'm, I'm excited to put it out yeah because we always uh, kind of you know i always kind of wonder like are you painting yourself to be the hero and really you weren't you know like when you tell us this call uh but getting it from multiple uh multiple angles that's awesome i love that yeah so let's go on since we're going to really describe sort of an overall system here i'll kind of give you a layout of the the town and the situation that these guys are kind of working in um Without going into like how many flights these guys do or how many calls these guys run, et cetera. This is more of an overview of this system versus like how busy these guys are. So it, this is a mid-sized town department. They have three stations sort of scattered throughout their service area. Um, but they also, the fire department also does mutual aid with towns outside their direct service area who tend to rely on like r rural volunteer ambulances for patient transport. 
Um, so if none of those ambulances are available or like the patients, you know, concerned for you know, they're concerned for like systemic or something, then the volunteer ambulances will usually transport and meet to intercept the fire department. Um, the ambulances are ALS uh, in in this town uh, with a paramedic and typically like a BLS partner. So an EMT. Um, I didn't ask about advanced EMTs or any of that. I should have, I guess, in retrospect, given the opening salvo that we uh, – <laughs> but yeah, um, the other thing that they have here is they have air resources available uh, for this town um, because this town has like one emergency department that doesn't have a cath lab or, you know, they do have like CT services. But, you know, like if you have somebody that you're concerned about for a, a STEMI, then like the actual trauma and or STEMI hospital is about 30 minutes west of their town in a city. Um, okay. And so like the air, like when they fly people, everyone's just getting flown to the city. They're they're not stopping at the like local ER. Okay. As you can imagine, there's a lot of like rural areas in this ambulance service area. All right. So let's get onto the call. It's a little past 9 p.m. on a warm, clear spring evening. Wow. You're, An you're branching out there. You're allowing for average times. I figured if, you know, if I was going to steal your model for writing, like, character naming, I might as well just for like, adopt your bullshit, terribly. like, non-exact times. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, it's good to know so, here at EMS 2020, we gun for the lowest of the two standards. <laughs> like, that's... You set the bar low. Why am I working so hard? Exactly. This isn't uh, limbo, man. It's not... You're not supposed to be like, ooh, can I go under it? That's not... That's not what this is. <laughs> An ALS fire ambulance is dispatched code three to a possible pediatric trauma. The instructions over for the radio from the dispatch center are a little weird. Uh, essentially, it's, hey, uh, just head code three out blank rural highway for a pediatric trauma. We'll update you further. That's nice. The, the <laughs> team confirmed the response and head out and, you know, acknowledge the instruction. So a minute or two later, the dispatcher comes back and tells them the following. We have report of a six-year-old male run over by a trailer, now unable to walk. Family put him in the car and started driving towards a hospital. The patient's father called 911 while they were en route, but has lost cell service. They are approximately 40 miles east on this blank highway. Okay. So, G-Key, given these details, and recall that G-Key is the fire paramedic, says, okay, let's please activate local air ambulance company. Nice. That's their exact name. You can Google them. It's <laughs> wow. So, uh, local yeah, right. air ambulance company. If if you can, if so, anyone Googles that and that's actually a thing, like call us. Like let us yeah, please, please email. Let us know. like there's there's someone who's working at local air ambulance company who's like like I don't know. Like people just Googled us like what the fuck? We're blowing up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, so this is actually Chris, an I, advertising spot for local air ambulance company. <laughs> Meeting all of your local air ambulance needs. Where are we based? This is our pro Locally. This is our product placement. Yeah, this is it right here. Um, all right, so cool. Chris, let's let's start off this. So he's heard this and he's already activating a flight response. I mean, they like they haven't even put eyes on the patient. They're just doing this based on like dispatch information. Is this good move, bad move? What are your thoughts? Uh, so just to kind of make sure I have this correct here, they're 40 miles east on a highway. 
from a point that's 30 miles east of all the main hospitals of the trauma center. So this scene is probably like 70 miles away from from the trauma center. Correct. Yeah, because it's, a you know, I, I they gave it to me in like 30 minutes. Like, oh, yeah, it's 30 minutes from our town to well, the trauma right, hospital but most highways in are the 60, opposite direction. Yeah, but yeah. most highway most highways are 60 miles an hour. So you're going a mile a minute. So one mile equals it, one it, minute. Essentially. Exactly. So for sure. I, I think that's a fair. Yeah. Fair guess. So we're so we're a ways out there. So I I think this is a good idea to go ahead and activate the local air ambulance company uh, because. The biggest thing about air ambulances is that they save time. And the big things that trauma people, uh, trauma patients need is to get into an OR. And I'll tell you, like being run over by a trailer is bad news. I, I have a call that I was personally on where a kid was run over by a trailer and it, it did not end well. It was pretty terrible, actually. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's a huge mechanism right there. And I think the time savings alone is going to be great. Also, some services carry blood product. <laughs> I would assume that local air ambulance company providing the high level of quality care that they do to their area, uh, their local area, their yeah. local area. They probably they must also carry it. Uh, but yeah, a lot of services services carry blood product, which is which is great for hypovolemic patients. Uh, and they can also perform more advanced uh, procedures than the ambulance could. Like one big thing is like chest tubes, uh, which mm-hmm. most ambulance companies cannot perform. I, I want to say I can't confidently say that there's no state out there that doesn't let paramedics do that. Um, but it's not a lot of states. So, yeah, there's that. But ultimately, it is going to be about time saved, which is what can happen here. And here's another thing is there's even the potential that the helicopter could beat the crew to the scene, depending on how this company's run. So, like, for instance, if they're coming from pretty close by and if this is a service that can self land for scenes like Spencer and I service can where they don't need Mm -hmm. they don't need another agency to set up an LZ for them. Uh, and if dispatch can actually get a hold of the 911 caller driving the patient and have them park in like an open field where a helicopter can land or near an open field, they might even get to the patient sooner. I mean, I, I've oh, been yeah. doing this for Dude, a while. That's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't happened very often, but I have been landed on scenes uh, where I'm getting to the patient at the same time as the first responding crew is. So, yeah, that that absolutely happens. No, I think this is a great this is a great idea. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I think your point is well made, like regardless of whether they can self land or not, like this does save time. And I, I don't know how many air ambulance services actually carry blood. Uh, I know, like, for instance, yours and mine do. But I, but I don't know if this one did. I, I probably should have asked in retrospect. No, well. but um, yeah. So excellent thoughts. Uh, and and GK. For their part, they said that they wanted them to start coming that way, figuring that like by the time they met up with the patient and did an assessment, the air ambulance would probably be like overhead and then they could be landed nearby if need be or then they could cancel them with no problem. Um, so that was their sort of rationale. And I, I, like I, I like it. I support it. Yeah. So. Yeah. So again, they're going code three down a highway to the middle of nowhere, looking out for an oncoming vehicle. Um Presumably of some make and or model that has all its blinky lights on. Presumably um, of some maker model as opposed to the ones that don't have a maker model. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Specificity. That's what we bring here. They're perfect. It's basically just uh, two paramedics running down the highway. <laughs> <laughs> so meanwhile, at local air ambulance company headquarters, keyboard with a missing G key, mouse, and the real hero of the show, the pilot, 
And, and by the way, I'm not just saying that because like they have the power to kill like all of us right there. <laughs> right. And they're just amazing looking hands. Oh, wow. It, it, it's not that even though like this absolutely would be the type of person to keep happy with like comments of adoration like this one. But it's, again, it's not at all that pilot genuinely <laughs> a hero. So, uh, so That's as these three, yeah, you, you uh, so sold these, that. <laughs> nailed it. Yeah. yeah. So as these three, the hero and his two sidekicks, again, that's <laughs> keyboard minus a G and mouse are added to the response. Uh, they quickly do their weather checks and their kind of like pre-launch stuff. And then they launch and we'll head that way. Okay. So those two resources are on the way, but not long after the air ambulance is added, dispatch also taps out a volunteer response in a tiny little town. That's actually along the way. Okay. But only the chief of their department responds in their SUV. Um, he actually starts heading out uh, east along the highway to look for the patient in their vehicle. So it's about 15 minutes or so later, and we're back on the ground with G key and desktop. The chief did find the patient's vehicle uh, coming, uh, you know, oncoming. And so he flipped around and followed them and it sounds like, thankfully, not not long after uh, after that happened, the, hey, really the quick. family of the yeah. Sorry, can I clarify? Uh, clarify yeah. something. On the air ambulance, we have keyboard missing a G key and mouse. Yeah, and the ground ambulance has G key and desktop. Ex- exactly. Gotcha. Okay, I'm I'm absolutely with. It. So G key is not short for yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Yeah, no, no, no. There are no shortened nicknames. I'm glad you clarified because that would be very confusing. You're like, how is that guy also down? So the chief flips around, follows the car for a bit. 911 gets a hold of the patient's family again. And they're sort of like, hey, you have a guy following you who can deliver care. And they're like, oh, shit. Okay, so they pull over and uh, the chief goes to make contact. And so just so you know, the chief is an EMT who does have a jump kit in their vehicle. And so shortly after making contact with the patient, they radio and update the ambulance and also the air ambulance who is listening in on the channel. The patient is alert, looks normal and appears to be acting normal. They report that the patient is denying any pain and can move their feet and hands. They will update with vitals. All right. So, Jiki and desktop both consider the rather jarring update. And by jarring, I mean, it's, it's just not at all what they're kind of expecting to hear based on the dispatch information that, that they've gotten. But it's nice. I mean, it could be. It, yeah, I'll take yeah. it, especially when we're talking about six year olds. Right. So both Jiki and desktop imagined this kid sort of seriously injured by being run over with the trailer. And they both felt that now they, they couldn't really reconcile the description of the patient that they're hearing with that mechanism. So they both expressed how like they felt like they were missing some part of the story, but like ultimately again, they did feel reassured that the patient doesn't sound injured. Yeah. And for me, when I am in this position, I usually assume the part of the story I'm missing is like, Oh, well he wasn't actually run over. This is what happened instead. Exactly. You know, it's one of those where it's like uh, the game of telephone where like, yeah, I sort of got hit by a trailer, but he wasn't. And then like dispatch is like hit by trailer copy, you know, and that's what gets passed around. Right. Exactly. But um, but that thought sort of sparks another, which is like, hey, where, do we cancel the air ambulance response? Um, And, and Jiki decides that, hey, you know what? Let's just keep them going until we get a better idea because we don't know. 
right now. And that's the best decision right off the bat there, because what you really don't, you got to think of the alternative, right? So you, you make it, let's say you make the decision and you're correct and they don't need the helicopter. Great. Works out. But let's say you're wrong and you canceled that helicopter. That's not good because then you just delayed patient care. The helicopter's already in the air going. Uh, you're not saving anything really by by canceling it. You know what I mean? Like it's I know sometimes we like the things like, oh, that thing's expensive to run and they're burning fuel and all that stuff. Uh, their agencies are totally prepared for that. I mean, they're at least they should be. Yeah. I know the agency that Spencer and I work for, uh, we would rather launch and then not be needed than than the opposite. So I, I, honestly, that's actually the best outcome is we get launched and then we like go fly and then we hear like, actually, we don't need them. And then I'm like, yes, we yeah, got to fly. Don't have to write a chart. Like oh, yeah. the pilot has to refuel and do a little work, but like, yeah, that's, that's why they're paid the hero bucks. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> the so, burden of being the hero. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hey, uh, fuel it up. I'm going to go back to bed. Good luck. Right. <laughs> Except, but you know what? They are smiling. I mean, when their head hits the pillow and they're not charting on that night, they're, they're winning there. Yeah. Like that's... Yeah, well, they're, they're like, Hey, do you guys need anything? As I'm like, just ass deep in charts, just like, I, yeah. no, I, can you chart? And they're like, nah, nah, like, no, but there's a fridge out in the hangar. If you need something, I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So Jiki thinks, keep them coming. You agree. And so they do. So Jiki and desktop arrive at the spot on the highway where the patient's vehicle and the chief's SUV are pulled over. And from where they are, it would be about a 50 minute transport by ground to the trauma center. It would be like about a 20, 25 minute drive or so back into town where the local ED is. Uh, Chris, and I hope you're paying attention because you'll need all of this info to make good hot seat decisions. Okay. Uh, so prepare, prepare your body. Um, I am prepared. It would be about a 25-minute flight to the trauma center. Okay. So the air ambulance arrives to the area at, at roughly around the same time. And here's where a little comedy comes into play. So Jiki goes over to the patient. Desktop follows, but like tells the chief to see if there's a spot in the adjacent field, uh, which would be a good place for the helicopter to land. This was interpreted by the chief to just land the helicopter in that field. Um, mm. So that's starting to play, take place as like G key gets their first glimpse of the patient. Uh, so they see a small six-year-old male child who smiles a little shyly at them as they approach. The patient is being held in the arms of their father. So G key puts on their warmest face and asks the patient their name, but the patient sort of shakes their head no in response. The patient's father gives G key their child's name and with a little more like back and forth, and help from the father, the patient like eventually just consents to being touched. And Jiki says that they palpate along the patient's back and posterior neck and that the patient denied any pain and they didn't feel like any step offs or deformities. Okay. Uh, Jiki tells the father in that case, like, Hey, why don't you carry the patient into the ambulance so that we'll be able to assess them there in full? Um, there's better light and it should be a little quieter because there won't be a helicopter flying overhead. Fun fact, there won't be a helicopter flying overhead for much longer, but Jiki doesn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so the patient is carried in and after just a little bit of reluctance from the patient is put on the stretcher in a high Fowler's position. And by the way, for those who don't know that, it's essentially like the Fowler's position is sort of like where you're laying on the stretcher, but in an upright way. 
Um, and there's different, like there's those low fowlers where you're, you know, you're basically sort of reclined with your head elevator elevated. And then there's like the high fowlers where you're mostly sort of sitting upright, but you know, with your legs out in front of you on the stretcher. Okay. So, uh, desktop desktop writes on the clipboard while G key gets vitals and does their assessment. So here is the story. The patient was helping their uncle on the property, loading up wood onto a two axle flatbed trailer being pulled by the uncle's pickup. And the kid's six. The, uncle, the kid is six. He's six and yep, he's just, loading wood. All right. He is helping load wood. There you go. Which I, I always love uh, that. It's like, oh, they're helping. And it's like, no, it's <laughs> having had six year olds. No, that, yeah. there's no that is not helping. But <laughs> I, I love doing that. Like, I, I love letting my kids like like do the dishes, even though it's like I, I could have been done 30 minutes ago. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're building character and you're having fun exactly. doing something productive. So let's keep it up. But anyway, that's exactly. cute. Anyway. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> the uncle says the enough uncle, of this shit runs the kid over. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. This is like, you know what? I'm done with this. Help. Like <laughs> I will find a way to fucking get out of this. And here we are. Uh, no. So the uncle told the father that he thought the patient had like cleared out of the way as because he was moving that semi full trailer close to the next pile he had to load. He started driving and then sort of noticed that he'd lost track of where like the patient went. And he's like, why um, do they put speed bumps in the fields? I'm imagining it's sort of a rough field. Right. Uh, so the uncle starts looking around for him and he's like moving just to kind of see where he is and then sees the patient uh, in a mirror in his rear, like the side mirror, just laying on the ground a little behind where the trailer was and not moving. Okay. Uh, so the uncle, as you can imagine, just like tore out of the truck and yeah. then like ran over to the patient, found the patient laying on the ground saying that they were unable to get up. Uh, the, the, uncle the, patient, patient, the patient was saying they couldn't get up. Yeah, the okay. patient was saying that they couldn't get up. The uncle asked the patient if they had, like, did, did you get run over? And the patient said yes. The uncle then picked up the patient and, like, carried them over to the bench seat of the truck, quickly unhitched the trailer, then drove as fast as he could to the house. And from there, with like, more family, they moved the patient into the dad's vehicle uh, of whatever make and model that was and started driving towards the hospital. And then like in route, they're like, oh, shit, we should call 911. I only so, hope that when the uncle got back there, you know, he's like, oh, God, I ran over a kid got him to the hospital. And, and then dad's like, did you just leave the firewood? <laughs> <laughs> like, so, uh, all right, yeah. we'll take care of this. But like, dude, you had a job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought you were going to take care of this, man. Always fucking stuff and, up. Yep, and and fucking took out your replacement. Right. Jesus, exactly. <laughs> God, this is the last uh, time. Now I'm gonna have to have another kid to replace you. <laughs> Worthless. Thank goodness that's Jesus. easy. All right. <laughs> so as the story is being told, G Key has vitals. He has a heart rate of 94, okay. a blood pressure of 108 over 53 via their auto cuff. They do have appropriately sized pediatric cuff i i asked um the patient's uh respirations appear non-labored and uh about like 26 a minute um spo2 is 100 percent, and the rapid trauma assessment g key did was unremarkable and after hearing the like couldn't walk comment again 
Jiki decides to like, oh, I should probably really reassess like PMS. Um, so they dive back in and ask the patient if they can move their feet. And the patient easily demonstrates that they can do so. So really um, quick, for all, our non-EMS, yeah. sorry, for our non-EMS listeners, uh, PMS, is it's kind of an outdated term, Spence, and we now do CMS. Oh, yeah, um, but that's right. Thank it's, you. It stands for circulation, motor, and sensory function. You, you check for all three and all four extremities. Uh, PMS used to be pulse. Uh, motor and sensory, but obviously we're in the medical field and PMS has other definitions like uh, premenstrual syndrome. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, but the patient does move their feet and they do have sensation present down in their lower extremities. Um, so additionally, no allergies, no medications, no past medical history reported by the father. Um, so are you sure he was run over? GK asks, because like so far, the patient seems fine. Yeah. The father remains insistent that the event happened, though they didn't witness it themselves, but says that his son confirmed the story and adds that there was a tire mark on the patient's shirt. Jiki sees that there is a faint dirt outline of a tire running across the width of the patient's abdomen. So Jiki starts a focused assessment on the abdomen when suddenly Keyboard missing a G key enters the ambulance, followed closely by mouse. G key, who again was actually going to like cancel the air ambulance, finishes their abdominal assessment and then goes like, oh, you guys are here. Okay. Uh, and gives them a essentially just the rundown of the history of present illness and vitals and apologizes for the apparent miscommunication about landing. The report concludes with like, but so far, everything seems okay. So, keyboard missing a G key quickly jumps in and does their own rapid trauma assessment, which no differences. Mouse talk with Mouse talks with the patient's father to clarify the story and to get more details than just like none for past medical history. And from that conversation, we learn that the patient is known for having a high tolerance of pain throughout his life. He had blood drawn not that long ago, and the patient didn't even like complain or flinch. Wow. Um, according to the father, uh, repeat vitals are taken, which again are the same. And the teams sort of all sort of look at each other and share this, like this probably isn't the patient to fly thought. Okay. Mouse at, then asks the dad, like, so what would you like to do here? Do you want to continue in with the ambulance crew or do you want us to fly your son to city trauma center? And I think yeah, both options would be good here. And the father quickly says that he would like the patient to be flown. They then say again that like they know their child is hurt. And they add like, this is what hurt looks like for him. He's very stoic. He has always been this way. And hmm. for the record, all the providers sort of internally roll their eyes at this, which I mean, Chris, if you had $20 to bet on one of these possibilities, which of these do you think would be the winning bet? A, the patient was run over by the trailer, even though it wasn't witnessed, but presents with no signs of injury or complaints because they are, quote unquote, stoic. Or B, the patient wasn't actually run over by a trailer. <laughs> well, yeah. So kind of weighing the evidence here. I mean, the question really is, is was there a significant mechanism or not? Yeah, that, that's yeah. what it comes down to, because he could have still been run over by the trailer, but maybe the trailer 
you know, maybe it's a very small trailer and there wasn't a lot of wood on it and he was run over by the back tire where there was no load, you know, because you're loading the front of the trailer. I, I don't know. Mm. But basically, we're like, mm. OK, was there a significant mechanism or not? Given the evidence at hand, especially the objective findings that we have, it kind of looks like there maybe wasn't a significant mechanism um, that and that could be the situation. Uh and even though I do believe the family input is valuable, that's also very subjective. And so, but I will tell you this. I mean, the fact that it's on this show notwithstanding, I am very, 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 uh, I'm very, very nervous about like canceling off of calls at, or, or like downplaying playing a call. So I always like to kind of mm. make sure. So I think with the evidence at hand, it says there's nothing. So... My goal here is going to be to go gather more evidence, understanding the only evidence I can really gather at this point is subjective. But like one of the things I would want to know is like, okay, you say your child is stoic and a big question for So now really like some evidence that I have to consider is I kind of almost have to evaluate the parents uh, evaluation of their son. And so I like to ask questions like, okay, so has he ever been to the emergency room before? And you may start getting a history there because it may be one of those things where you have a parent. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. He went through the emergency room last week after he fell off his bike. Okay. Anything happen? No, but he was so brave and he's so stoic. It's like, okay, you think he's stoic because you take him to the emergency room for nothing all the time. And you're the only one perceiving any injury. The kid's stoic because he's not ever actually hurt. You think he is, you know, like that could be the case. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, even for sure. still, even with that subjective information for me, it's really, really hard to, to try and to, to take the stance that nothing happened here. Like, uh, I, I don't know. Even with, even if I think the parent, the parents like, you know, maybe yeah. off on their assessment. So, all right, I'll stop rambling. Go ahead and continue. Um, by the way, Spencer, phenomenally Yo. written episode so far. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. No, I think that's, I, I think that's a, a wonderful summary there. Of, yeah, I, I agree. I, I would want to find more information. Um, so as the patient's father wants to come, on this trip, missing uh, keyboard, missing a G key starts the preparations to like move the patient to their aircraft. Um, the, the father does get to come along as well. Cause weight won't be an issue for this call. Uh, sometimes it is sometimes, you know, if like if the patient's 300 pounds and like the family member is also 300 pounds yeah. or even just like a hundred pounds, like there are limitations with how much weight a lot of like, EMS yeah. helicopters. And your aircraft any aircraft is one of those camera drones that people buy on Amazon. Like that's yeah. <laughs> that, that yeah. So weight is an issue and sometimes that plays a factor in the call. But thankfully in this call it won't, because we do try and keep want to keep like parents and pediatric patients together. Um weird. <laughs> Turns out the six year old terrible historian pisses the doctor off. It's like, no, I'm asking you about your surgical history. And the kid's like I have a belly button. He's like, right. everyone has a belly button. <laughs> I'm asking you about your appendix. <laughs> the doctor gets mad, just Ubers him to a homeless shelter when he's done. <laughs> show up. Where's my kid? St. Matthews. Get out of here. <laughs> right. All right. So the patient again gives that shy little smile when keyboard missing a G key asks them about like 
going out to the helicopter. Um, the patient agrees to be carried by keyboard, missing a G key, while their father will be led to their seat by mouse. So, keyboard missing a G key, picks up the patient, uh, and they depart the ambulance. Uh, the group move towards the aircraft, getting approval from the pilot, the hero, before approaching... <laughs> uh, you know, un- into that rotor disc and they approach from a nine o'clock direction. That's usually the safest. Uh, mouse loads the father into the front seat and keyboard opens the side door for their v- aircraft and places the patient on a stretcher and then gives them some ear protection. Uh, keyboard says like, this is their quote. Like, I have never seen such a big smile from a kid they've put in there. Like, I've put oh, in my yeah. helicopter. I'm which, 100% sure. I, I have transported a lot of kids. Many of them don't smile because, you know, like they're actually way too injured to smile and appreciate mm-hmm. the ride. So right. like, that's, that's probably saying something. I don't know. <laughs> Both mouse and keyboard missing a G key then jump in before their Lord and Savior. And again, the real life hero, the pilot, lifts off from the scene and starts towards the destination. In the patient compartment area, the patient is placed back on the crew's monitoring equipment. The patient was mostly described as just sort of like hanging out and looking around the helicopter. Vitals are taken uh, and again, and actually basically for the entirety of this flight, so I don't have to interrupt with like Q5 vitals. Uh, they remain about the same. Uh, heart rate's nice. around 98. Blood pressure's 102 over 54. Respirations are 26 a minute. And SpO2 is 100% on room air. Which for me, I, I have no problem with any of these vital signs. They're great, actually. I mean, yeah. tw- 26 for a six-year-old for respiratory rate is fine. Heart rate's fine. Blood pressure's fine. 100% room air. There's no there's no real indication of shot going on, which is going to be my primary concern for this kid. Uh, secondary to that, if he got run over, of course, be thoracic trauma resulting in like a pneumothorax. Um, but the respiratory rate and the saturations indicate to me that there's no respiratory distress going on right now. Yeah. So, and, and, and I should great. clarify, like in the rapid trauma assessment, like lung sounds were auscultated, found to be clear. Like there, there was some of that that happened earlier that I, I left out here. But your point about like, oh, yeah, thoracic trauma. It mm-hmm. seems pertinent to bring up. Um, yeah, the flight crew debates about like, hey, what to do for this patient? And specifically, should they even bother to start an IV? Keyboard missing a G key says like, I don't think so. And initially, Mouse seems to kind of agree with that. But then says like, yeah, but like, boy, shouldn't we though? Because this is a trauma. And keyboard missing a G key pushes back with essentially like the following logic. Um are we really sure this is a trauma? It wasn't witnessed. It was assumed by the family and the father, but the, the patient's presentation doesn't add up to the mechanism that they're describing. The yeah. patient is vitally stable and just like looking around. So, and keyboard missing a G key even goes so far as to like reassess the patient's abdomen again. And he notes that the patient sort of watches them and like juts out their stomach a little during the assessment. Um, which keyboard said made it like made like the, their abdomen feel a little firmer. Um, but they, as they're pushing, they noticed no grimacing or any like indication of pain from the patient. Um, keyboard sort of had the impression that this was like the kid flexing versus like guarding just sort of based on their facial responses. Yeah. But um, so flexing in and of itself is kind of a form of guarding though. It, yeah. So the, 
what they did was they they tried to get the patient to stop and to like relax. Um, but just with the noise in the aircraft and the head, you know, the headsets and all of that stuff, like they didn't, they weren't really able to communicate that. Yeah. Um, so keyboard keyboard kind of comes to the conclusion like yeah like he's flexing he's smiling he looks fine you know and his vitals are all good i don't i don't think we need to do anything here mm-hmm. and mouse eventually just sort of rebuttals by pointing out the following like yeah but if we don't the trauma doctor is going to rip us a new one so i'll just do it yeah. Um, so, Chris, thoughts? Um, do the IV. Here's why. Um, kind of the way I'm looking at it is, so we made a decision at one point on this call, and that was when it says, hey, like, you know, and, and basically we made the decision based off the father's input, right? That decision was like, hey, dad, do you want to fly this guy into the city or do you want him to be grounded into the nearby hospital here? And dad was like, no, let's let's fly. So flying in and of itself is a clinical choice. And you let dad make that choice. So if you're going to be allowing dad's judgment to make that clinical choice, then go with it. Because Mm -hmm. dad is making that judgment based off the fact that he believes his son has potential for a high amount of injury. So I would say just, hey, you know what? All right, we're flying. This is going to be a trauma. Let's go ahead and start the IV. Because I'll tell you this. If you were absolutely 100% certain it was not a trauma, you probably wouldn't let dad make that call. So if you had some smoking gun evidence that there was no mechanism, like some bystander walking in the woods was like, hey, guys, I got this on camera. Check it out. You know, like, (laughs) you know, like if you had that, then you would absolutely not make the clinical decision to fly this kid. And so, you know, and so with dad, but you don't. So the fact that you left it on the table and let a bystander essentially make that choice tells me that on some level, maybe it's 10 percent versus 90 percent. But on some level, you believe there's a possibility because if if, If you didn't believe there's a possibility, then I would say, yeah, don't start the IV, but also don't let dad determine that you use the fucking helicopter either. So that's my point. I mean, we all need a paycheck, right? Yeah. And there's one other thing that I would say that I'd want to start an IV for. Let's put this stoic thing to the test. Kids hate needles. With a passion, you can show a child a needle and touch their arm and they will freak out. Kids freak out at the alcohol prep to start the needle. So, yeah, I would want to start yeah. it and see, all right, how stoic is this kid? Yeah. So let's. Oh, boy, this is exciting then. Uh, yeah. So mouse <laughs> and keyboard explain to the patient what's about to happen and note retrospectively that the patient really didn't seem concerned about the impending. Poke. Yes. Uh, Mouse expertly places a 22 gauge IV in the patient and both crews are sort of surprised that the patient just sort of watched calmly as they inserted the needle to place the catheter. With the IV task complete, the only thing left to do on the flight is to call report and continue to monitor the patient, both of which happen. Wow. It, it would be weird if that was like, and they didn't. Yeah. And that's the call. Yeah. So so, that's it. Yeah. Uh, that's it. No. Uh, so the patient is taken from the helipad to the emergency department and report is given to the trauma team. The team starts their assessment and after hearing a report and seeing the patient, they decide that probably the most prudent thing to do is to go to the CT scanner. Um, yeah. If the trauma doctor thought it was bullshit, they didn't say, but they didn't, they weren't exactly like, Oh God, we got to do. They were just like, Hmm. And just sort of a, a blank, a blank slate. I, I, I will say, I've noticed this most 
ER staff won't won't tell you they think something's bullshit until they go have proof that it's bullshit. Um, which, by the way, if you're requiring proof before you call a paramedic on on what you think is bullshit, then don't because paramedics <laughs> don't ever get to have that proof. There's my two cents. Absolutely. If you, if you I, need a CT before you're going to call out field personnel, then you probably shouldn't call out the field personnel. God damn it. That's right. Yeah. So here's where we stand near the summary of this call. The ground team, that's G key and desktop, and the flight team, keyboard missing a G key and mouse, felt that this transport by flight was overall unnecessary. But at this point, they're not sure how it could have been avoided. There was a miscommunication that led to the helicopter landing before G-Key could cancel them, which then, you know, involved the flight crew in on the call for in, in, in involved in the patient care. And then the patient's father insisted that the patient be flown, sort of like mandating that they, they follow through with it. So G-Key, for their part, says, like, they just sort of felt dumb about how this all played out. Um, and, and they just felt like they wasted resources. And I think to some extent... It sort of reflects back on they, they, it reflects back on them. Gotcha. Uh, G key and desktop were they were by the way that that wasn't how they felt about that. Um, which yeah, I, I think it's pertinent to bring up now. It was like because a lot of I I can totally see myself feeling the same way as G key does, where it's like oh Jesus, these guys are gonna think I'm the mo- dumbest person ever. Yeah. Um, but. Um, that, yeah, they, they were just, they were non-pulsed by it. They're like, oh, cool. We got to fly and it was an easy chart. <laughs> yeah. I'd probably, I think, uh, they pitched each other shit about the IV. Uh, but you know, everyone felt that way. That is until Mouse's friend who works in that hospital. And Mouse is the flight nurse, right? Mouse is the flight nurse, uh, indicated to Mouse during a text exchange that they should probably actually call about their patient. So they did, and they found that the patient had a grade two liver laceration, elevated lactate levels, and some other elevated labs concerning for potential crush injury. I asked, but they keyboard missing a G key was like, he's like, I don't remember the numbers or the details. Just like, this is what they said they were concerned about. Uh, So the patient was admitted. Uh, I don't know what happened beyond that point, except that keyboard missing a G key and G key were then able to connect about this call. And put their put their data together to realize that like this is actually holy shit this was a really good call and we're so glad we did the thing that we did and that it worked out the way it did and then they sent it to us for review yeah so which you can do too at ems twenty twenty podcast at gmail dot com um, boom but yeah so that all right that ended up being. Uh, super. Uh, if anyone's uh, curious, when it comes to liver lacerations, there's there's five grades, and so uh, a grade a grade two. I want to say, if you're talking a laceration, that would be a tear that's one to three centimeter uh, centimeters in depth, greater than ten centimeters of length. So pretty pretty substantial uh, liver laceration, uh, and then of yeah. course grades three, four, and five uh, go up from there. So that can cause problems. So wow. So. Looks like kid is freaking stoic. So anyway, let's summarize this call here. So you got a pediatric patient who was allegedly uh, run over by a mostly loaded trailer. It sounds like the actual event itself wasn't witnessed, but family and patients say it happened. Uh, They start driving the patient to the hospital. Uh, Basically, uncle takes them, the kid, from the scene 
uh, to the house where the patient's father is. And then they all start driving the kid from the house to the hospital. And then they're like, hey, I should call 911. 911 taps out a fire department uh, ambulance from a close town, a volunteer from a smaller town, and an air ambulance response because the injury details given over the radio make it seem like it might be necessary. And I agree. Uh, EMS yeah. makes contact with the patient and family. And after hearing the story and seeing the patient, the providers wonder if the action ever actually happened because the kid does not appear to be injured and certainly isn't acting like he's injured either. A flight team makes patient contact due to the miscommunication uh, and they end up uh, flying this patient to a city trauma hospital. And they also think the patient probably isn't injured. So the patient then ends up being significantly injured. So... <laughs> Yeah, there we so, go. Uh, let's kind of like let's run through our first thoughts uh, for this call. And here's mine because I've had a lot of time to sort of think about this. Yeah, uh, I actually I really love this call because I've gone on a few like this where like the mechanism sounds bad, but then you show up and the patients you're like, wait a minute, huh? They look fine, and then you know like and. Even as a even as a flight paramedic, uh, like we'll fly these people, and I'm like, hmm, okay, well, they don't look that bad. Right, yeah, I guess this will just be an easy flight. Maybe this was, you know, like uh, over triaging or you know, like appropriate over triaging or whatever based on the mechanism. And then it turns out like we get them there, and they're not at all fine. You know, right. like we, we call and get follow up, and then they're like, yeah, well, hold on, let me print off their pages of injury list, and you're like, what pages? <laughs> Huh. Um, so there should have been one I, page and just says discharge instructions at the top. That's right, it. Yeah, like what's going on here? Um, so this sounds like just a really more extreme version of that. Um, so this is kind of a really fun call to break down. Uh, so first off, I, I love the thing that Jiki did at the start by just activating the air response early and for all the reasons that both you and he brought up. Yeah. Um, I, I think if your system allows you to do that, then like that's an excellent tool because the goal of air ambulance is to save time to cut down these, you know, the difference between the patient going from the field to the OR. Yeah. I loved all the assessments that they did. Yeah. And they kind of, you know, continued to do repeat assessments, um, you know, like checking vitals, doing those focused exams, just trying to look for injury based on the description mm-hmm. that they got. Um, Treatment wise, like I, I can't, I mean, I know it wasn't the treatment that they would have want, like they wanted to do. They wanted to, I imagine, just take the patient by ground oh, yeah. to the hospital to be like, you know, like, all right, well, yeah, we'll take them, get these guys back in the air and back home f- available for the next massive trauma or whatever. Um, but, you know, that didn't happen. They ended up flying the patient, which was a great thing, <laughs> as right. it turns out. Trying to be perfect. Um, it, and I, I really just have like a hard time sort of finding fault in this call because, you know, like, yeah, everybody had like doubts, uh, but those doubts never got to be acted on. And, and maybe they would have had the opportunity presented itself uh, where they, they could have been like, actually, no, like we cancel air ambulance. And no, but like it didn't turn out that way. And they did all the appropriate treatment, sort of whether they wanted to or not. Um, so I really can't fault them for doing the right thing in the end anyway, um, because nobody really like took action to try and stop that either. So I, I think that played out well. Chris, what are your thoughts, man? Well, you covered almost all the good things, which was, uh, 
pretty much this entire call. I mean, there's not, I, I, yeah, there's, there's nothing to really fault on this. And I think what I liked about it is something was weird to them. And instead of kind of jumping down the easy answer and being like, Hey, look, he doesn't need the helicopter. We're going to cancel. You can just take him in there, which would have been really easy to do. They just kept turning over stones because there's kind of two reactions when weird things happen, right? There's the one, like when it's like, okay, these things aren't matching up. I have an easy answer here. One reaction is to just go ahead and take the easy answer. Well, nothing happened. Kid's fine. The other option is to just keep turning over stones. And that's what they did. And I appreciate that they did. I think the only place where there was a potential to go wrong would have been uh, had they left it up to dad and dad said, no, never mind. Take him to the local hospital. Trauma hospitals. When you bring in, bring in a, bring in a patient, you're like, this is a trauma patient. They have protocols they're going to do. And imaging is almost always going to happen, regardless of whether or not anyone thinks anything is there. That may not be the same case at a non-trauma hospital and things may get missed because of that. And that's why mechanism is so important. So I guess the only bad thing would be leaving the clinical decision to fly the kid up to the dad, but it ended up yeah. working out just fine. You know, no, that's, I, th- I think that's a really good point. That's 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 definitely a, a good counterpoint because there is a chance that the father would have been like, nah, yeah, okay, well then, yeah, we'll just drive him in. Yeah, like, and, oh, if you guys aren't seeing anything, then yeah, that, that, then maybe the family, you know, like, then they might have. I don't know. They, they, we don't know. We didn't go down that road, but yeah, I guess that is a really good possibility as well. Yeah. So I, I think for this call, there's there's only a couple lessons that I want to touch on and they're not really lessons they're more just sort of like i I, they're more considerations cautions to watch out for it for ways that could potentially make this call go the bad direction um that it somehow avoided uh, some of it through luck some of it through you know just good practice um so one of the things i want to talk about is anchoring bias and this is sort of a weird one Essentially, what anchoring bias is, is that we tend to anchor our beliefs based on a reference point and make subsequent decisions and assumptions based on that reference point, whether it's good or not. And usually this is the first like this is the first piece of data that you encounter. It's not always the case. Uh, so here's an example of anchoring bias. So. And this is from Wikipedia because I was trying to come up with simple examples Perfect. To, to help explain this point. So, for instance, if you walk into a store and you see a T-shirt selling for $1,200 and then like next to it, you would see a T-shirt selling for $100, people then tend to view that second shirt as cheap. Because the first T-shirt they saw was $1,200 and like, okay, well, that's like, that's ridiculously expensive. But then because that first encounter was $1,200, you are anchored on that price. That is your reference for the price of stuff in that store. Yeah. And then you just sort of apply that out to all next, all your next encounters in that store. So then you see a T-shirt for a hundred bucks. Now that seems like a great deal or a better deal. Because it wasn't twelve hundred, um, and, and so that is sort of like that is anchoring bias. That's what holds people into certain sort of thought patterns. Is that like initial reference? So how, how does this apply here in this call? Well, if we're going on a call and we hear dispatch tell us like, "Hey, the child is run over, now now not able to walk, and family is driving with the patient." Most of us form a mental picture of what that child is going to look and act like 
and it's not good. No, you know, like I nobody hears that and goes like they're probably fine. No, right. they all go like, oh fuck, there there's a good chance like they'll be dead before we even get there. Oh yeah. Oh god. And and so when we show up, we're unintentionally sort of carrying that idea and like, all the baggage that goes with it. You know that that mental model of that of expectation into that scene with us because our first data point says like this kid is going like is near death. <laughs> yeah, or is so drastically injured that there's going to be a lot of work. Oh, my God. And so then we, we see the patient not at all acting like we've unconsciously predicted they will. It's really easy to fall into the trap of like, well, then they can't be injured because now it's really hard to imagine a different and less devastating outcome based on like the mechanism described. It's right. really hard. You, you can't go like, hold on, load it up with a bunch of wood and now they're not hurt? Huh. Like, that's weird. In fact, Jiki said, like, I really just couldn't imagine this kid being run over at all based on the physical assessment and vitals. He looked fine. There's possibly another bias uh, at play here. So people have a range of responses to pain, right? We've talked about that before. People express pain in, in different ways. And a lot of times it kind of throws us off because we expect people to express things the way we exp uh, express them. But anyway, this kid's tolerance is apparently like superhuman or he has great abs, uh, but they were still very much injured. <laughs> we tend to expect people to demonstrate pain or injury in a certain way, like I said. And while there is some truth to that. Uh, we do have to remember that not everyone uh, reads the rule books when it comes to pain. So don't fall into the bias where you assume that pain will only have a certain response. Uh, go back and listen to our episode, Painful Realization, to see where that ended up biting some people in the ass. So yeah. uh, a family, by the way, it can definitely be a phenomenal guide here. I kind of touched on that earlier. Uh, the father was there to give conduct to the patient's presentation. Uh, yeah. Really quick, though. Uh, they also could have asked the patient to walk. That was kind of one of the things that I noticed that wasn't really investigated. Yeah, um, no, that that's a really good point. And I, I, I had that same thought yeah. earlier. Um, so because yeah, don't but, get me wrong, I, like the, the CMS, it's not just because because we think, oh, I can't walk. We think like spine, spine fracture or, or a spinal exactly. cord uh, injury. Um, but there's other reasons people may not walk. It may just hurt to do so because of abdominal injuries. Uh, specifically, yeah. specifically pelvic injuries is, is, is another thing. So uh, yeah. to see if the, the patient can get up and walk might might be a bigger uh, indicator there. Um, that, yeah, that might have been telling. That could have yeah. been helpful for yeah, sure. Could have been there. But also let's talk about the mechanism a little bit. So this is one of those mechanisms of injury that just mandates evaluation regardless of outward, uh, regardless of outward experience. So being run over by a loaded trailer with God knows how much weight uh, is just not a good thing uh, at all. But the big question throughout this call is this. Did the mechanism of injury actually happen? Everyone really expected to find out that it didn't happen. The initial presentation didn't match up with the expected presentation. The assessment didn't add up and it technically wasn't even witnessed, leaving it open to being a possible case of someone making a mistake or a six-year-old making up something funny. Uh, but I will say yeah. like having a six-year-old, I, I, or well, I've had two now, um, woof, I, that would be a stretch for them to make something up like this at, at age six. Anyway, yeah. that, that, that's my own personal bias that I'm now applying as I tell everyone not to have biases. But still, uh, <laughs> so I think yeah. to be able to comfortably and reasonably conclude that this mechanism of injury didn't take place, that would really require someone to outright admit that it that this is an elaborate prank. 
and now I want like that person in the woods who's like weirdly videotaping a boy and his uncle working for some reason <laughs> oh, to like show up <laughs> to just like show up in Got their camera. Oh, it would have to be a a uh, uh, oh, oh dude what Dory. What what's the Back to the Future card? Jesus Christ! The, the, the DeLorean. The DeLorean. Like Jesus. I want a guy to like show up in the DeLorean and just be Great like, Scott, I I've have got this. photo. I have photo evidence that this never happened. Like I want that guy to just like show up out of oh, nowhere. Geez. That would be amazing. Um, <laughs> After you said awesome. that, <laughs> I, I will say when when they were saying like, yeah, there there was a tire mark like on the kid's uh, shirt in my head. I'm like, well, yeah. that means nothing. I've watched my kids hug my truck tires before and get dirty. Like <laughs> I, I, this means thought. nothing. So, but anyway, <laughs> Dude, uh, for sure. But yeah, I think there are fair concerns about the story. Don't get me wrong. Uh, given the presentation of the patient, but is that enough on its own to say that it didn't happen? I mean, don't don't yeah. get me wrong. I've been in these shoes, you know, like where I'm going. Like, man, this just doesn't add up, and I am filled with doubt about what I'm being told. Yeah, but um, I have to keep in mind that I am solidly wrong about that way too often. So unless there's, yeah. So unless there's some really, really, really compelling evidence to say that the mechanism didn't happen, like again, (laughs) our guy, something that's like courtroom drama compelling. Anyway, how about this? Yes. People lie and we should be open to that possibility. But most of the time, unless there is a really, really obvious reason to not believe them, treat the patient as if they're telling you the truth. If they say they're having pain, give them pain medication. If they say they were run over, treat them as if they were run over. You, of course, are welcome to totally believe in your heart that it wasn't true, and maybe this is all unnecessary. I do that so often, but that's fine. Mm -hmm. Treat the patient, but put $5 on the outcome you're expecting, and if you're right, you still did the right thing, but now you can go get yourself half a coffee from a Starbucks. Or... Or, you know, this episode, this episode brought to you by Starbucks and local air ambulance company. (laughs) Guess which one is more expensive? (laughs) Right. It may, hmm, you know, it could be close. Uh, Right. Or if you lose, uh, your team could, you know, you could collectively lose about 15 bucks. But anyway, uh, yeah. All right. No, I I think that's a really good point. I, I, I think that's really the kind of the crux of the problem here is like, is there some way that we can definitively say that an event didn't happen? Recognizing that like patients have such a wide range of responses um, and like presentations. Mm-hmm. It, it's really hard to say, and, you know, and, and granted, like you and I weren't there. We don't know exactly, you know, how this patient looked or if there's, you know, pieces that maybe we would have caught or, you know, maybe somebody else even better, smarter than us would have caught that would have sort of sold them more on the like, hey, this kid's injured. But I, I think that's just the problem is I, we have to keep in mind that we often are wrong um, in this regard. And, and so the thing to do is actually to just get follow up as often as you can on patients that you transport to the hospital. Oh, yeah. So so that you can find out, you know, so that you can learn. We can't encourage this enough. We do it every, almost every episode where we bring up like, do follow up, follow up. And it's not always easy. And sometimes it's just not possible. But 
still try if you can, because that's how we get better. You know, it's, it's a great way to generate ongoing learning, you know, like, cause then you're like, what? Hold on. They had what now? Like, fuck, I'm going to have to Google that. Um, or you find out like, man, the patient I took in who I didn't think was injured. Oh, fuck. Totally injured. Um, so, you know, do it. I obviously, you know, try and do it on all your critical calls, your STEMIs, your strokes, interesting traumas, like weird medical calls, but add in those calls that you think are total bullshit too. Absolutely. Historically, I have followed up on calls that I thought were total bullshit. And then like one patient went to the OR and then another went up to an ICU. Uh, Hours after I dropped them off. So, yeah, like those right. were profound moments of growth for me. Um, and th- this just sort of it expands your window. It expands your idea of like how patients can present. Because remember, we're coming with like textbook data. It's like, well, the textbook said that they're going to have, you know, sharp left sided chest pain that radiates up to their their neck and their shoulder. Uh, but this guy has pain that goes across all his chest. And it's right. Yeah. It is burning. Uh, so what is that? And then you later learn, you're like, yeah, so burning pain can also be a thing. Uh, <laughs> <what am> I? <laughs> right. You know, like, fuck. Uh, or you have a person who's like, yeah, I don't know. I, it doesn't hurt. I just have trouble breathing. And you're like, mm, okay. And then you find out later, like, yeah, so apparently pain also doesn't have to be a part of NMI. Like, fuck, the book lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, didn't you call like you called me the other day because you got to do a thing that like the book actually said was a thing. Oh, it was great. Right? Yeah, yeah, I will. I will. Um, gosh, I don't even know if I want to briefly touch on it or not. But yeah, it's a uh, yeah, exactly. We had a, a vented pediatric patient and uh, they were stacking breasts, which basically just means they're not exhaling fully I, is a really, really short way of describing that. So we got to disconnect the ET tube and then I pushed on his chest to exhale the air and like the numbers returned to what they should be. And it just worked. And I'm like, damn, the thing that was supposed to work worked. Yeah, it was this great. is the only this is the only field where you like you learn about things and how to do things. And then like you find out like, oh, yeah, but that's only like once every blue moon. You know, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, like, oh, yeah, the, the this is a standard thing that goes with this condition. And by standard thing, they're like, we see this 15 percent of the time. Right. <laughs> and that's you know, like, standard. And, and so, like, yeah, when, like when you actually get to do a thing uh, that's like you're like, I learned about this. It was in a book and I got to do it like that's when it's exciting. I, I don't think there's an electrician out there who's like, holy shit, I just connected this red wire to this other red wire and the lights turn on like amazing. Yeah, no, exactly. And I'm not, I agree. I wouldn't say that like you always like if you're an electrical engineer, I'm sure there's plenty of times where it's like, fucking A, that should have turned on the light. But you can always go back to some point and find where the red wire and the red wire aren't connected. In medicine, it's just like, hey, uh, look, I did this and it turned out they didn't have an MI. And the doc's like, yeah, I mean, shrug. And that's it. That's yeah. all you ever get. You'll never know yeah. more than that. Be like, yeah, that one's different. I, <laughs> that guy I, is different I did than one all t- the others. I did one time try to like figure out where the red wire wasn't connecting in the patient. Um, and I was told I can't do that anymore. Yeah. Well, that'll <laughs> no, no more, no more exploratory surgery. Apparently in the that's, field. Yeah. Apparently that's called, you know, <laughs> exploratory surgery. Who knew? Yeah. It's called assault <laughs> or aggravated assault or murder, like whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Practicing so. surgery without a doctor's license. All right. Guys. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, hey, from today's episode, uh, I hope you guys really enjoyed it. Uh, just remember, uh, you got you really got to watch your biases uh, when you uh, bring them in. Biases can really color things a certain way. And oftentimes it's it's OK to have biases and to think the outcomes, you know, and to think what you're going to think like this is bullshit. But don't act on that. Always treat the worst possible thing and you're going to end up being OK. And follow up. It can be really hard to do, really, depending on what your agency is doing, but really try to get follow up. And if you don't have a follow up uh, program or route to go in your agency, talk to your agency about that and try and make that change. It really does make us better. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, the poor man's solution is just shoulder tap nurses when you drop off at the hospital. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, be careful because, like, you might just be the irritating paramedic. <laughs> just be like, oh, it's Kyle again. Ah, damn it. Guy just hey, I was holding a traffic cone on this call the other day, <laughs> and one out of Kyle EMS twenty twenty is Karen. <laughs> oh God, which I actually feel really bad for both because I know some Karens and like Karens that I've worked with, Karens that I've known, yeah. they're actually like really great people, and it's just fucking unfair. Like it's just like, <laughs> and I don't want to do the same thing to Kyle's. But for anyone that that's curious, we don't actually know anybody named Kyle. I want to say I mean, it was I, in the episode. I know, a pers- I know a couple people named Kyle, but the, the Kyle joke well, is it referenced to right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought it was a made up name. I've never heard of anyone with that name, Kyle. Um, but uh, if you guys want, there was a there was an episode. I, I actually don't remember the name of the call now oh, or the name of the episode. Uh, this is a double code. Yeah, it's it, a double code. It's the double code one. I see dead people. That's right. The uh, episode I see dead people. We was when we first introduced the uh, the name of of Kyle. And he's basically just like that guy that always finds the useless thing to do on every scene. Like, no, oh, he's uh, we're on a medical scene and he's out, uh, you know, by the road holding a traffic sign, telling people to go slow, which may, you know, but that's, that's him. So anyway. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Um, as always, please follow us on social media. We are EMS 20 slash 20 on Facebook. We are EMS 2020 show on Instagram. And you can send us an email at EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. Use that email address to send us calls of success or woe so they can end up on this show. Uh, with that, everyone have a, have a fantastic rest of your day and we'll see you next week yes there we go there's the awkward ending didn't want to didn't want to miss that and now i'm just making it making it worse uh trying to you know wrap it up and yeah, um, uh, hmm. just to kind of button uh, this up. <laughs> right i there it is for reals bye <laughs>